You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Not at the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Instead, I am huddled inside of a hallway in a vacation house in Clearwater Beach and uh, enjoying a vacation. Ed is holding down things for me back in Chicago. I am, How are you, my friend? I, the weather here is nice, so I don't think I'm, I'm losing out where you are. I just don't have sand in my shorts. Do you swimsuit weather nice in Chicago? Is that what it is? Well, for Chicago, it's, it's in the 60s, which means it's swimsuit weather, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, exactly. I, I just I, I don't have sand in the shorts, and uh, I I actually still have to go to work during the day. So um, that's forty five year old man cargo shorts weather and sundresses. That's what that is in Chicago. Absolutely, I mean you're right. None of the public pools are open, but if I wanted to go walk into a lake, I could. And there are times watching the White Sox, I want to go walk into a lake. So there we go. This episode of Socks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by Cork and Carry at the Park. Uh, their location at 33rd and Princeton is the place to be pregame, postgame, in-game. Had a blast out there during the home opener. Great crowd. Got to run into an awful lot of uh, Socks fans and Socks in the Basement listeners. Ed and I really enjoyed our time out there. Uh, the beer menu is spectacular. You were drinking a hailstorm while you were out there because it's on tap. I think it was their American yep. Stout. Um, I was I was trying out this hazy IPA. Uh, we, we were just... We had a blast. The food looks even better this year. The experience is top-notch. And and when you get inside the ballpark, I'll be honest with you, that game flies now with these new rules. Like, I'm glad I had a couple of beers and something to eat at Cork before I went in here. Because when I go get a hot dog, I miss an inning and a half. So, like, it's really a good idea to kind of, like, insert them into your plans. 33rd and Princeton. Learn more at CorkandCarry.com. It's also brought to you by my family, who, as we're in this uh, vacation house, that my parents were nice enough to rent out and invite like my sister and her family down and she got you know you got me my family down here my uncle's showing up with all of his kids and their kids they probably will walk in in the last 10 minutes of the show and it'll get even louder in the background you'll be able to pick up people moving around because I can't throw them out of the house and we're all just kind of like in here right now like I think we're basically like this is like the home base to go to the beach and I and like and the internet is terrible dude like I'm sitting in a hallway plugged into a router because that was the only way I could get a, a signal on the beach. So I'm just I'm just happy I can do the show with you and talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Listen, man, I have like these two I have the devil and I have the angel on my shoulder right now, right? And the angel's like, who cares that you're four and six, right? Who, who cares uh, that uh, your your bullpen uh, isn't the best or that your starting pitchers aren't going very deep because your manager, when he doesn't like somebody, he goes, I don't want Jose Ruiz anymore. And then he's gone, you know? And so, like, that's a good sign that Robert is so good right now, not only at the plate but in the field, and that they were able to just kind of say, okay, if Aloy is going to be down for a couple of weeks, here comes Berger, and he's putting, one, uh, he's putting a ball over the wall. I mean, like, there's there's – so much that I can look at with this team and say it's early. Give them a chance. They're chirping. You know, O'Neill Cruz broke his own ankle. Let, let's just be honest. Oh he, yeah, that, that that was not Sebi Zavala's doing. No, and Sebi Zavala yelling at him is because he took a path to run into Sebi Zavala. 
And Sebi Zavala showing some fire and saying, no, I'm not putting up with that. And who cares what Carlos Santana has to say about it? And I'm totally fine with the I, I love it. I love it. They, they, they chirped at the Giants. They chirped at the Astros. They're, they're chirping at the Pirates. This is a White Sox team that's got fire, yeah. right? And here's the thing. I want them to do that. I also want them to win because the devil's on my shoulder going, they are only four and six. Their pitchers don't go deep into games. Why did you keep Jose Ruiz around for a week and a half? What what else did you need to see from him, talent evaluators on this team, that everybody else hadn't seen? Because most White Sox fans knew he sucked for the last two years and shouldn't have been on the team. It was so clear they just didn't want to give up on the guy because he was out of options, so he just had a spot there. So you you have to wait for the manager to say, no, no, I don't want this guy anymore and have him and, and move on from him. Nick Avila got sent back. You, you had a Rule 5 pick that was tearing it up in spring training, and you chose to return him rather than get rid of Ruiz 10 days earlier. So it's things like that that still bother me about the team because they're always going to have issues in how the front office makes decisions where it seems like it's very obvious that you should choose this path and they pick another path either because they're bad at evaluating talent or they or they just can't admit their mistakes. So that still exists. So that's where the devil is. The devil's on my shoulder sitting there saying they're four and six, man. They, they, they have... A lot of problems with their pitchers getting deep in the games. The bullpen subpar. And if Luis Roberts out of the lineup, they can't score runs. That, that's what the devil's saying on my other shoulder. But I, overall, I got to sit there and say, we're a 16th into the season. Let's see how the next couple months go. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think the devil and the angel are actually sitting there shaking hands with each other and cracking open a beer because they're they're both right. You know, you can't have you can't have one without the other right in this moment. It is incredibly foolish what they did with Jose Ruiz, bringing him here for a week, getting rid of a guy in Nick Avila who was an intriguing prospect, was a guy that that had more potential to untap and probably will at some point with the Giants. I, I imagine we have not seen the last of Nick Avila as, a, as Major League Baseball fans, unless he gets hurt or something like that. But what we don't have is you don't have anything good to replace Jose Ruiz. They brought up a journeyman. Yeah, I mean, look, to me, the the way that they, I don't know, the, the Ruiz thing bothered me. It, 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 sitting here on a beach trying to relax, I, I see that he's DFA'd, and I'm like, oh, well, that's great. It's, it's about time that they made that decision. And then as I thought about it, I was like, well, hold on a second. Like, what changed? What did he really do that was that awful that wasn't what he typically is? And that's what it kind of gets to me. It goes, you know, why can't that decision be made? a week and a half earlier. It's been made now at this point, but those are the kind of things that kind of get at you as a White Sox fan, right? Where you just sit there and you go, how are you not seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? One thing that the Sox didn't notice in-game uh, while I've been on this trip, and thank you very much for holding down the Ford on the last episode. You had Craig Toth from Bucks in the Basement, another podcast here on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, uh, helping you out on that show. Uh, one of the things that, that I noticed and I didn't get a chance to talk about was the first start of Michael Kopech. And I had somebody send me finally, and you know, it takes me a few days to catch up on things while I'm out here. But I, I had somebody send me a breakdown that John Boy did about the, the, the pitch tipping that he was doing in game one. And it was fascinating once it was pointed out that he, with his curveball, is spreading his hand out so much that his glove pops up when he's about to throw a curveball. Not when he throws a slider, not when he throws a changeup, not when he throws a fastball. In fact, they were showing that when he throws the changeup, nobody's swinging at it because they can't tell the difference. 
And, and the slider, they can't tell the difference. But it, when, when he's indicating the curve, which he didn't start throwing to later on in the game, they're on it. And the other thing is once they realized he had mixed it in, now they're guessing fastball when they don't see the curveball. And you see all those home runs in that inning in his first start. And that was really surprising to me that, like, here's the opposing team. They see this, right? I saw Ethan Katz stand behind him while he was in warm-ups. You watched Ethan Katz in that game in that home opener. You actually made a comment to me. Ethan Katz is like standing right behind him and seems annoyed about something he's doing. He waited till late in that game to start throwing the curveball. So did they know that he had the problem and said, well, we got to risk it because it's later in the game. So even though he's tipping it a little bit, or do you think they didn't even figure that out until later on? And they had to watch some film. Like, to me, I think the pitching coach standing there, you know, I, I see him. He's constantly chatting. Like, Katz is like, you could see him even during the National Anthem. Like, he's just chirping in the pitcher's ear every time. Like, he doesn't even stop for the National He's just constantly going over what the game plan is. He's always doing that. But when you're standing there watching the guy warm up, how do you not see that? And, and I'm glad it looks like they identified it, at least between Game 1 and Game 2, but, you know, I, I, like maybe they need to open up something where White Sox fans can immediately text the dugout and be like, I see this. <laughs> like, can we get right. more interactive? <laughs> maybe that's what we need, Ed. Yeah, and so instead of being interactive, you know, with, with uh, uh, trivia or something like that, let's get interactive with telling the pitching coach that Michael Kopech's tipping his curve. Right. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I think, you know, as a, as a pitching coach, Katz is probably watching – his mechanics and is watching how the pitch is coming out of his hand is watching for control cues is watching his footwork. So I will, I'll give Ethan Katz a break that, that watching his glove is, is not something he's seeing. I think that's something that Yasmani Grandal, maybe Sebi Zavala, depending on who's catching that day could maybe pick up on, but something like that, if they don't see it during the game, that's fine. The other problem with Kopech, as you and I were watching him warm up that game, was he didn't. He seemed disgusted by his own pitches. After every pitch he threw, he was kind of staring at it like, the heck was that? So I, I think there's, there's something to be said. When you're tipping a pitch, if you can't execute your other pitches, you're still going to – he had a terrible game anyway. So he's, he's throwing fastballs in spots where they're hittable. He's hanging sliders. His changeup is obviously not throwing guys off enough – for it to be effective because you can game plan based on what the pitcher has. So I think it was a combo plate of one, he's tipping his pitches. Now the giants can tee off on, on a certain thing and you can, you can key on it. Okay. And the other thing is that frankly, if he's throwing meatballs anyway, if nothing has, if the slider doesn't have good break, if the changeup doesn't have good movement, if the changeup doesn't have a good velocity shift to it, then you sit there and you look at it and go, okay, we're, what are we doing here? What, what are we, you know, what are we doing as a batter? We're just looking for a zone because we know the pitch is going to be there and we don't care about velocity. We don't care about whether it's a change, a slider, a fastball. We just get to tee off and there it goes. And I am happy that Michael Kopech went out and pitched a really good game the next time around. And, and, and so maybe that shows it got fixed. And, and I just want to see that. That's the difference between last year and this year. That's the difference I need to see. I need to see that when a mistake is made, when there's a problem, when a guy can't hack it and shouldn't be on the 26-man roster, that they actually make a decision and fix it. Like, if I look ahead right now, I'm pretty convinced that Elvis Andrus will not be the second baseman by the All-Star break because they're going to get to a point where they're going to say, well, we signed him late in the offseason. He never really put it together. He's good defensively, but do we need, do we need something extra in the lineup? Now, he may play such good defense, and they may get 
get so many runs, and the, the offense has been doing well, that they might sit there and, and accept his defense. But I also know that if it comes to a point where it's becoming a hindrance and they need more out of the position, I think that Pedro will sit there and say, we need a change. And I think Rick and Kenny have to listen to him because at this point, it's going to be on them more than it's going to be on the manager you just hired. Yeah, and and the idea of Lennon Sosa figuring it out in Charlotte, he's doing really well. The idea that Elvis Andrus may become a bench piece for you. I mean, notwithstanding that Hanser Alberto has as many relief appearances as anybody else on the team at this point, you have... You have an obligation to have urgency, I think is what you're talking about here. A real big sense of urgency about this year. And you cannot mess around with guys who underperform. You cannot mess around with guys not being good enough. And you sure as heck cannot mess around with the idea that there's a next year to this group of guys. And there's a next year to this window. No, because at some point you're going to see some changes that have to be made. Like the, the the contracts are running out. It, look, Lucas Giolito, he's got. I said it. I said it a week ago. I'm going to say it again. He's got to go deep in the games. He's got to be effective almost every time he comes out there. There's money on the line. It, like he's he's got to get going. Like right now, after two starts for everybody, as we sit here, we're sitting here and we're talking, getting ready for the Tuesday release of Sacks in the Basement, and everybody's had two starts. And after those two starts have happened, well, I'm not worried about Dylan Cease. The only thing I'm really concerned about with Dylan Cease, to be honest with you, is I'm concerned about the amount of innings Dylan Cease is out there being effective. Okay, like Dylan Cease is a really good pitcher, but what Dylan Cease needs to be is somebody who goes deeper in the games. They need several guys that can go deeper in the games. They need more quality starts. They need guys that go six innings at a minimum and have three or less runs given up. And actual that's that's the metric for a quality start, and they need that more because they, they can't tax this bullpen for 162 where they're they're responsible for the the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning every game. That's that's insane. So that's something they really, really have to work on. There's an entire group of people walking up behind me. <laughs> can you even hear it? Can you hear this? I, I I can hear it, I can hear it. And you know what, honestly, if if you've got family that need to transition away from, say, screaming and yelling while you're trying to record, or they're just transitioning to a new age of life. Mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, if they need to be out of assisted living, make it so they can get around on their own and live independently. Stairlifts, ramps, grab bars, lift chairs, even bathroom remodeling. They can work with insurance and have 0% financing for qualified individuals, for CPAP machines, whatever you need. We're talking about Hyatt Home Medical Equipment, of course. Learn all about them at hhme.com. Stop in and see them at 3518 West 95th Street, Nevergreen Park. Help your family out to keep them at home so they're not interrupting you on vacation. Visit Hyatt Home Medical Equipment. Here, here's the thing. I, I, I've already thought about it, talking about pitching and talking about Cease, who, by the way, is a spectacular pitcher and we're, we're lucky to have him. The problem is that he fits what Ethan Katz likes to do. Ethan Katz wants guys that are going to paint corners, wants guys that are going to get strikeouts, keep the ball out of play, and dominate. That's what he wants. The problem is that style doesn't give you a pitcher that goes deep into games. It works for Dylan Cease, although I will tell you this, we talked about this at the end of last season. Dylan, like at the end of last season, the second half, far less strikeouts, right? Far less like, you know, uh, 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 
far less painting things and more pitching the contact from time to time, especially with guys at the bottom of the lineup. And he was going deeper into games. And I remember we found this stat because we were looking at fantasy baseball, right? And they were like, well, he's not as good of a fantasy baseball pitcher here in the back half of the year because he's not getting as many strikeouts. Yeah, but he's going deeper in the games. He's helping his team. We went on a run when he was doing that in the back half of the year. I expect him to get back to that. I understand that it's early in the year and guys still are maybe completely ramped up, so fine, but we need that. After I see that, I'm going to tell you something right now. If Michael Kopech can stop tipping pitches and he gets movement on his fastball, he can go deeper in the games, and I think Mike Clevenger is going to show you that he can go a little bit deeper in the games. Lance Lynn's a four- to five-inning pitcher, unfortunately, right? Like, that's going to work out well for you in the postseason or when you have a rested bullpen, but that's something they really have to start paying attention to. They don't have enough guys that go deep, and they need, they need, they need more Mark Burleys on this team with these quicker clocks and the way that things are moving. Like I'm brought back to this, Ed, and then you tell me if, if this struck you as, as much as it struck me, Ethan Katz in the, in spring training, talking about how the pitch clock is going to make it harder for his pitchers because when they need a break, they can't walk around the mound, you know, his style and what he's doing wasn't wrong in any way before these rule changes. But now if what you're trying to do is this very intense, you know, just get guys out and make that make that happen at the plate instead of in the field and, you know, try to be as dominating in terms of the shape of your pitch and things like that, you don't get a chance to step off. You may get winded when you're doing that. Your pitching style may not be conducive to how quickly you have to get into your set position and throw. And so an adjustment needs to be made. I think that's the thing I'm noticing with the staff. You have a very talented staff who may be having issues because of the style that they've been they've been doing the last couple of years, the cat style. And hopefully that adjustment can be made. Yeah, well, and, and I, I sort of disagree with you about Lance Lynn to a certain degree because I think Lynn, with the cutter and with what he does, I know he's all fastballs, but I, I think what he does now lends itself to pitching more towards contact. And him moving faster makes him a little bit more of a Mark Burley type profile. Whether or not he executes, I'm not talking about him being Mark Burley. I'm just saying that with what his stuff is at this point in his career and the the speed of the game and all that stuff, that profiles more to a Mark Burley kind of a guy. If he can get weak contact and and get guys to ground out and pop out and fly out the way Burley used to, he might be able to go a little bit longer in spite of the fact that he's an older guy, in spite of the fact that he's had leg injuries and things like that. I do wonder, though, with Dylan Cease, if there just comes a point, and I think Giolito follows along with this. I don't know enough about Mike Clevenger, honestly, to, to tell you one way or the other. But I think with Giolito and with Cease having a similar profile in the Katzian system of paint, use your stuff, get strikeouts, I do think that there's a chance that when they do get a little stretched out, when the weather gets a little bit warmer, and when guys kind of get into their mid-season groove, that you will see more opportunities for them to go longer and and spend more time getting guys out based on contact as opposed to just trying to paint and get the strikeouts. For that, I think what has to happen is, for Cease, it's, it's maybe a little bit harder because I think right now his stuff is so electric that it's hard to get guys to make contact with some of his breaking stuff, right? And it's hard to get guys to make contact, weak contact off of his fastball because it plays so well off of his breaking stuff. That's what's making him dominant. He just needs to cut down on on the balls. When he is painting, he needs to cut down on that and not have extraneous pitches every at-bat. 
for Giolito, if I'm him, I am starting to think about the fact that I've got a good breaking ball and I've got a good change-up fastball mix, and I'm trying to use that to get guys to ground out and give me about two or three innings in every start where I'm not really going for the Ks, I'm going for that and save the strikeout stuff for when you absolutely need it, when a guy is on, when you need to get an out so that you got a guy, you know, somebody hits a double off of you, stuff happens, double with one out, get a strikeout so that this guy moving, he doesn't have a chance to move over, right? Or a double with no outs, you don't have a chance to get the guy to move over so you got somebody on third with one out because that's how runs are going to score, cheap runs end up scoring. And for the Sox, they cannot let cheap runs happen. I don't care. You give up a home run, tip your cap to the guy that hit it. You give up a you know a couple of rigging doubles, tip your cap, you know, and stop tipping your pitches, but tip your hat maybe a little bit too. I, that I think is going to be the the adjustment is is for Giolito, he's got to find a way to make contact. I think for Cease, he just needs to be more efficient if he's going to go deeper in games. And Michael Kopech, frankly, the template he followed against the Pirates is is perfect. He that was a quality start. That that was exactly what you want. You can get the seventh, eighth, and ninth cut. And if, if you can squeeze an extra inning out of Kopech as he is stretched out, as he is going to build on the most innings he's ever pitched in a season professionally, then I think you can see him pitch into the seventh later on if he's throwing that well. I also think Kopech's going to give you a few stinkers here and there too, so you got to watch out for that. Good place to go talk baseball if you want to try and hash this out with the White Sox is Hailstorm Brewing Company, located down in Tinley Park at 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue. Just an absolute incredible lineup of beers. Like Chris mentioned, I was drinking the American Stout when we were out at Cork and Carry, and it was amazing. Uh, there's a mouth-watering scratch kitchen. It's a working brewery with tap room. It's a big old beer hall. So you sit down at a table, you make some new friends, you sit and you talk about everything that's going on. Uh, you know, now, if you're there for lunch, Tuesday through Friday, half price lunch special. With a beer, basically comes out to price of the meal with a free beer by the time all the discounts are happening. Check it out. Highly acclaimed brewer Will Turner is bringing decades of experience and excellence to Hailstorm Brewing. Check out their outdoor patio, complete with a fire pit for those chilly evenings, although the weather's getting better, so now's the time. Live music on weekends, trivia nights, other fun events. Don't miss out. Check the website for uh, for acts that are upcoming and check them for the lunch specials. Follow them on their Facebook page, at Hailstorm Brewing Co., where they post all their events, and be just sure to check them out at hailstormbrewing.com. Well, here, look at the rotation through the first two times through. And and Dylan Cease is such a different pitcher than the other four guys, okay? He's got more innings than, than anybody else through his two starts at 11 and a third. And it's still, like, he's he's got to go deeper, and I believe that he'll be able to do that. He's only given up three hits over those 11 and a third, and he's walked five. He's got a whip of 0.706. All right. So, you know, I don't worry about him when he takes the mound. We we need more of that. And we need to see, like, you know, a little bit better out of the other four guys. You look at the other four guys, 10 and two thirds from Kopech, 10 and a third from Clevenger, 10 innings from Lynn and nine innings from Giolito in their first two starts. All right. It's, it's just not good enough. I'm sorry. It's just it's not good enough. Okay? No, it's not. They're, they're putting all kinds of guys on base like Giolito over nine innings, 17 hits in nine innings and a walk. He's putting two guys on per inning. So there, there's, there's, some, there's some issues there. There's some stuff there that makes me very nervous. You have to go deeper and you have to figure out a way to keep guys off base. I mean, it, now on the other hand, the thing that has struck me is, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting around playing fantasy baseball through the first week and a half, and I'm noticing an awful lot of pitchers that were extremely effective last year who are putting way too many guys on base. 
And I'm wondering if the shift rules and I'm wondering if the pitch clock, and I'm wondering if it's taking away the effectiveness of some pitchers and will they adjust and get back to what they were? Or are we going to see that some pitchers were really good with those, those rules. And now that they've been changed, they go to being from being good to average from being average to below average. Like, is this something that some of these guys are just never going to be as effective again because you can't move a bunch of guys over to one side of the field or that they can't go through the rhythm that they're used to? Because, I mean, that's that's the other thing that concerns me. It's not just the White Sox. Go and look up any pitching staff in baseball. There's an awful lot of names that are usually doing really well that are off the terrible starts this year because I can see it as I just go through my team of, like, you know, really good pitchers that I put together over the years in this dynasty league. And I'm like, why is this guy so bad all of a sudden? Well, I, I had two. To your point, I had two of the two of those guys. I had Chris Bassett and Corbin Burns on my fantasy team, and Burns is a guy that is a high strikeout guy normally. Now he's not getting K's this year for whatever reason, but he's also getting, I think, ground balled to death if I had a guess because he's the kind of guy that would get the ground balls. And frankly, the Brewers' defense behind him isn't tremendous, right? They're they're not not great. They're not terrible, but they're not spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. And then there's no shift. And it's a bunch of younger guys, too. And Bassett got absolutely destroyed in his first start as a, as a Blue Jay. And it was just that. He's a guy who pitches to contact. He's never been a high strikeout guy, but he was always super efficient and get, went deep, deep into games, got a lot of innings out of him, kept runs off the board. He was just very, very good at that. And you do kind of wonder if you know they're being used up there with Whit Merrifield and his limited range at second base if guys are just teeing off on him and rolling it to the left side. I'm sorry, Vlad Guerrero and Whit Merrifield are not that side of the... Defensively, you don't want that on 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 that part of the infield against a bunch of left-handed batters. They're, neither of them are particularly good, and you cannot bring over your shortstop anymore, and you and you don't want to mess around. I know there was, there was talk about messing around and putting... Uh, outfielders you know moving the outfielders around but I think I think you got to be careful about that too so yeah I, I do think there is going to be a I think there's going to be an interesting adjustment period for some of these guys and I also think you're going to start going back a little bit to a premium on infield defense where these second basemen in particular that are offense first and defense second are going to start to cycle out a little bit because teams are going to look at it and go, this guy cannot go and do enough in four at-bats to make up for the fact that he missed seven straight ground balls that got past him and the other team scored eight runs in an inning because our second baseman's got the range you know, right. of a 45-year-old on a softball diamond. And here's the thing, then that goes right back to what I said earlier in the show. And so now that's the reason why I'm probably wrong. That's why Elvis Andrus is valuable. Look, Zach Gallen, we'll use another non-White Sox pitcher that's out there. He's had two starts. He's gone 10 innings. I can say the same thing about Zach Gallen that I'm saying about a lot of these White Sox starters. So it's not just Sox pitchers that are having issues in terms of going long and keeping guys off base. And he's putting on, you know, one and two-thirds batters an inning. He's got an ERA of 7.59. Does that sound like Zach Gallen to you? No. He's not getting any defense behind him. He's not getting anything that's working out. Luis Garcia, we saw him in Houston. He was a really good pitcher last year. He, he he was very effective at keeping guys off base and going deep into games. Okay, He's got a 70 RA and he's putting two guys on per inning. He's having all kinds of issues. He's gone nine innings over two starts. He's Lucas Giolito right now. So like, like here's the thing. I look at the White Sox 
and I say, these things frustrate me. And then I look at Major League Baseball and I say, I think there's a lot of fan bases that feel exactly the same way about their starting pitchers right now, who had guys that they were like, he's good and he's going to have a bigger year this year, or this is the guy on the come up. And then they're looking at the first couple starts and going, what the heck is going on here? And I think a lot of it comes from the way that things are set up and there's going to be an adjustment. The only real question I have is, will it will it revert back or are some of these guys just forever going to be that way? That's going to be the fascinating thing to look at here, right? I mean, because I don't think that it's just going to be Cease and four guys that can't get through five innings like it looks like right now, right? It's, it's not going to be that all year long. Somebody's going to adjust to it and it's going to get better. Some will not. So I think that's that's really going to be the interesting thing this year with this White Sox team. And that can we keep Luis Robert healthy because you take him out of the game for the first time all year long and you don't play him and you can't score a run against the Pittsburgh Pirates on Sunday. Like, he's obviously freaking important. Yeah, well, yeah. He is very, very, very important to the offense and it can't be understated how important he is to the offense. Uh, that said, you you certainly hope that he is not the only thing that makes the offense go. And and, and scoring, you're going to get shut out, but still, you feel like against the Pirates, especially when you're not facing Mitch Keller, who Craig from Bucks in the Basement identified as their only legit starter right now, you feel like they should have won that game. Yeah. It is time to learn something interesting about the White Sox from the Sox nerd Dave Marin, brought to you by Parentian Norum. If you've been injured or you've been injured at work, you need a team that will do what it takes to fight for your rights. Insurance companies only care about one thing, and that is their bottom line. The law offices of Parentian Norum has a team with the experience, dedication, and proven results it takes to get you the care and compensation you deserve. Over $400 million has been recovered for their injured clients and their families. So if you need a free case evaluation, call them or text them today at 312-641-5926 or visit pninjurylaw.com. Dave, what do you got for us today? Ed, in my job researching, writing, and displaying nuggets for the scoreboard, I love it when the White Sox play a team that doesn't visit here that often. The early beauty of interleague play was exploring the connections that had been collecting dust on the shelf between the Sox and some of their National League brethren. As the years have passed and the Sox have played the NL more and more, that uniqueness has started to fade, and it will fade even more as the more balanced schedule takes hold. However, there are still some teams that the Sox have a hidden history with, and one of them, the Philadelphia Phillies, will be visiting Guaranteed Rate Field next week. The Phillies have only played the Sox in Chicago five times, with the good guys holding a 3-2 to two edge. Those five visits are tied for the lowest among Sox foes, along with the Colorado Rockies, who will assume the lead because they don't come here this season. Overall, the Sox have played the Phils 18 times. Only the Mets, Padres, Braves, Marlins, and Diamondbacks have met the Sox fewer times. It's been seven years since the Phillies last visited Guaranteed Rate Field, but it may seem longer when I mention that Justin Morneau homered and Chris Beck and Jacob Turner pitched in the Sox last win over the Phils here on August 23rd, 2016. As far as Sox Phillies memorable moments go, two stand out. The first was Joe Borchard's 504 foot home run for the Sox on August 30th, 2004 at then named US Cellular Field. I was there and that thing was legit. It cleared the concourse in right field and remains the longest homer hit in the current park. The second memorable moment is kind of a crazy one. On August 2nd, 2019, the Sox and Phils were embroiled in a pre-universal DH marathon in Philly when Jose Abreu was thrown out at the plate in the 14th inning by 
Vince Velasquez. Yes, the double V was in the game in left field after pinch running for the Phils, who had exhausted their bench. Abreu, though, had the last laugh in the next inning when he drove in the go-ahead run and the Sox win. So next week, Ed, if you see Craig Kimbrell heading to left with Andrew Vaughn on second, you know we're in the midst of another crazy Phillies-Sox game. How about a few Sox-Philly zingers? The only two men to manage both teams are Hall of Famer Hugh Duffy and Jim Fregosi. Greg Luzinski hit the most homers while playing for both teams at 307. And White Sox icon Dick Allen was the first Philly to start two All-Star games at third base. That's it. That's probably more than you ever wanted to know about the Sox and Phillies. Ah, but did Dick Allen ever juggle baseballs while smoking a heater for the Phillies? Not with the Phillies, no. Yep, see, then we got it for the White Sox. There's a zinger back to the Phils right there. That's right. Thank you, Dave, and we will see you next week. All right. Big plans for me today. Uh, I'm going to try to watch uh, White Sox baseball all week long, but the internet's terrible, which is why I have to do the show in a hallway. Right. I, can you watch the game in a hallway? or uh... I have to plug into the router for the entire house because nothing works here. Like, And you you know, and how do you complain about it? You're at, you're at the beach, right? Like, you, like That's this just is it. Where... Really, if you go to the beach to get on the internet, you're, you're kind of missing well, the I don't part. really need the internet. It, it, with the exception of this show and the show later on this week, I, I don't really need it. Like, I, every other show on the network is done. So I'm not really worried about it. I'm not even going on Bucks in the basement. Like, I, I go and I help out Craig, who was on the show last week, and I just sit as a sounding board while he does his show, and then I and then I help him with some of the production stuff. But he's basically taken it over over the last year or so. Like, he's doing, like, a minor league thing and everything out there, and he's completely on his own this week, and that's good because I don't want to be on Pittsburgh Pirates radio telling them all that O'Neill Cruz broke his own ankle. Like, they're just going to be really mad at me. So well, there's maybe nothing to be gained about angering the Pirates the Pirates fan base with that. So watching somebody who's like one of your stars coming out of a rebuild, we've been there before, get hurt, and you just want to be angry at somebody. So you're going to be mad at Sebi Zavala and the White Sox fan base. And I'm like, I'm just so glad I don't even have to pop my head in there this week. But yeah, I, I, big plans this week. I, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, drink some bourbon, go to the beach. I, you can hear the family behind me. I'm just trying to relax. Uh, I'm sunburned on my head. Uh, even though I didn't think I had a receding hairline, like right up at the top, man, it's really burnt. Isn't that fun when that starts to happen? <laughs> oh, yeah. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.